Hello and welcome to Menopod, the podcast that tackles puberty's evil older sister, one Poldark box set at a time. Mmm, Aidan Turner. Uh, my name is Susan Lee and I'm regional print editor at Reach. I'm also joined by fellow journalist and my chum of many years standing and quite a few sitting down when our hips began to hurt, Dawn Collinson. In this episode, we'll be drilling down into the medical side of the menopause. It's something which affects half the world's population. And yet, at a time when we've never had more information at our fingertips, many women are, in many ways, as poorly informed as ever. Does HRT suit everyone? Is weight gain inevitable? And what's the perimenopause anyway? And how will I know in a minute? From old wives' tales, myths, and even fake news, magnets in your knickers, anyone? The menopause and how to tackle its symptoms remains for many shrouded in uncertainty and confusion. A little later on, we'll be talking to a leading UK expert on the menopause, Dr Paula Briggs, a consultant in sexual and reproductive health and who's written extensively on the topic. She'll be here to guide us through what happens during the menopause and the choices available to women to help tackle the symptoms. First though, meal mate Dawn. What do we reckon about how well discussed the menopause is? I think it's much better discussed than it ever used to be. But you're totally right. You know, when you said about myths yeah. and the menopause, yeah, yeah. a friend of mine, her sister, tried the magnet. No way. In the yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Now, urban mythly speaking, she insisted she only she only tried it for a week because she was attracting metal things in Tesco's. <laughs> now, I don't think that's true. But I like I to so think... I so want that to be true. I know, yeah. Can you imagine if you were like standing there all of a sudden, tin of sweet corn. She, Are you paying for that, madam? I know, yeah. No, I just can't get it off. So she swore that this was the case. Now, whether it was or not, I don't know. But so I don't know whether the magnets in the knickers work or not. I really don't. On a slightly more whatever, I, I don't do HRT. Okay. And the reason I don't do HRT, like a few of my friends, is because I have got a history of breast cancer in my family. And I think that's the what the majority of people who don't do HRT that's the reason that they don't do it, yeah, I suspect. Now, I think it would be more helpful if there was... The problem is I don't think they can give you a definitive answer because I've read so many conflicting pieces of information and then what you do is go, I'm going to play on the safe side. Well, you know what? <clears throat> so the menopause is a hot topic. Ha ha, no pun yeah. intended Ooh, yeah. right now. Hot it's everywhere. A hot and sweaty topic, but it's everywhere yeah. from, you know celebrities endorsing it, people talking about it in magazines, what have you. But I think for your ordinary woman who's, you know, running a house, running a job with the kids, with the elderly pet, whatever, um, I still think it's a hard one to get the head around because you're right, there is a lot of conflicting information. There's a lot of myths and legends kind of passed down from your mothers and your grandmothers. Um, and I genuinely think that if this was something that affected the other half of the world's population, it probably wouldn't be like this. Yeah. I think there'd be a much more straightforward route. You know, you go to your GP, your options are laid out and you get help if you want help. Yeah. But I, I mean, you're talking about your friends there. I've got at least two friends who went to the doctors with menopause symptoms and were given antidepressants. Yeah. Now, that might have helped a little bit, but it's not really the answer, is it? No, no, it isn't. But you're right, I think there's so much... I don't necessarily think it's... I do think it's conflicting in a way, because like I said, I've read loads of things where I've gone, oh, oh, yes, no, that's... Oh, I might do the bio-identical... Yeah, 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 yeah. Mostly because Carol Vorderman had did it, done it. Did um, it work for Carol? Well, I don't know. It's hard to tell what's working for Carol, isn't it? <laughs> if we're honest, I quite like Carol Vorderman, but I can't tell how much of us still left of the of 
what of she the was original Carol. Yeah, and therefore I can't. I don't know whether to go. Wow, Carol Vorderman looks amazing. Those biodental hormones are working a treat. Or whether I think, wow, Carol Vorderman looks amazing. That filler's working well, a treat. Same for all celebrities. Look at what's the chops with Gloop. What's her name? Oh, yeah, Gwyneth. Gwyneth Paltrow. Now, you know, she bangs on about the menopause. She can't be our friend. No, she's so not our friend. How can she look like that? So what I'm trying to say is, you look at these women who are talking about the menopause, in celebrities, if you like, yeah. And they're completely unrelatable. Yes. Completely unrelatable. Yeah. To people like me and you. Yeah, oh, totally. And so that that's why I think what what's useful is to have people's real experiences yeah. because it's that thing, isn't it, where you just... The more people... It used to be that... I think it, the menopause used to be a topic that people kind of went... Mm, yeah, and it was, it was a little bit, bit one of those... Oh, no. And even women amongst themselves and their mates didn't really discuss it. Well, it was the change, yeah. wasn't it? Well, oh, no, only last week... A man in our office said his partner was going through the change, and we Did were you like, "Slap him!" No, but I mean, and he was trying to be sympathetic about it. Okay. But you think, oh, it's just such an archaic expression, isn't, isn't it? it? Though, but can you imagine what it was like for our mums? Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine what it must be like for my mum to go through the menopause because. It, it wasn't. It was unspoken. Oh, it, it was definitely unspoken. It wasn't in, in newspapers. It wasn't on magazines. No. So we're much better at, at talking about it. And I wonder, because of that, there's so much information. Yeah. There's almost too much information. Yeah. But I think at least, at the very least, what it does is it means that it isn't a bit under the carpet. No. And we are all out there and we can talk about it. And actually, rather than being oh, we're going through the menopause, and you think, oh. Well, I, when when I used to see things, I mean, I'm not massively keen on people discussing medical issues anyway, but I'd see things about the menopause. This is the wrong think, podcast. Uh, really, yeah. <laughs> so I came into the wrong room. I thought we were doing something. <laughs> I thought it was a book club. So, But I, when I'd, I'd see things and I'd think, oh, I don't want to read that. So it's also, oh, everyone's moaning about this and moaning yeah. about that. And actually, once you talk to real women about it, it's quite funny. And with us today is uh, Dr. Paula Briggs, who's a consultant in sexual and reproductive health with a specific interest, I know, in the menopause. What kind of sparked your interest in the menopause? Why is this field so important to you? I started off as a GP in the early 90s when HRT was prescribed commonly. Um, and then we had a, a study published called the Women's Health Institute study, which suggested uh, an increased risk of breast cancer, strokes and heart attacks and blood clots in women using HRT. Um, and the way in which that study was published through the media or I suppose sensationalised yes. through the media um, caused a huge amount of damage. So I feel like I've lived through um, managing the menopause in its heyday in the early 90s to where we are now um, and it took nearly 15 years to recover from the findings in that study. They've publicly apologised for the way in which the findings were um communicated to people um, and NICE produced guidelines in 2015 which gave I think much more balanced information about menopause management and it's not just about hormone replacement therapy it's about managing a really important stage in, in women's lives and I suppose now I am of an age where it's particularly interesting to me. Um, I think it's a really difficult time for lots of women their children leave home they may have um, made do for you know to, to make sure that their children were okay and actually um, 
many women might find they have relationship issues and that's just compounded by um, coping with menopausal symptoms which are very varied and actually I think lots of women are aware of hot flushes and night sweats but they're not so aware of other things like anxiety vaginal dryness sexual difficulties um, bladder problems things that are just not talked about because it's not um kosher to do that it's interesting you say things that are just not talked about and we're doing an entire podcast mm-hmm. on the menopause is it still sort of surrounded by myth and misinformation mm-hmm. is there still a kind of a lag from that study 15 years ago mm-hmm. around hrt mm-hmm. um and why do you think that is why is it still not quite a taboo subject but something that women still find quite difficult to talk about the the, da- the damage done by that by that study was was enormous i think um once there's really bad news like that and people believe it then it's very hard to move forward um not only did women stop taking their hrt gps stopped prescribing it and messages which came out of that study have really stuck like for example um hrt can only be taken for five years that's based on no no truth whatsoever yet lots of women i see have been very happy taking hrt for five years and then they're abruptly stopped that wouldn't happen in any other area of medicine. You wouldn't yes. stop somebody's antihypertensive or their diabetic medication. So it's it's a bizarre thing that ha- that happened, um, and I think women still have um, the idea that somehow if they if they have to take HRT, that they've been weak, that they haven't been able to get through this stage in their life without help. That's interesting. I haven't thought of that actually, but. Yes, that's true, because I know a friend who has um, a patch, mm-hmm. a HRT patch. She won't wear short sleeves mm-hmm. in work because she feels as though it's a badge and mm-hmm. people will judge her somehow, yeah. which is ridiculous, isn't it? No yeah. other, in no other area of medicine would that be the case, no. surely. And I think the thing about where to access information is also really difficult. I think if you, um, as a patient or as a woman, Google how to manage the menopause, then you wouldn't know whether you were accessing a reputable source of information. Mm-hmm. And there are some very good sources. Um, menopause Matters is a, a, an excellent website uh, run by a colleague of mine. Um, and I myself have put together a booklet for women to try and ensure that they're given the right information in on which to base an informed decision about how they manage their menopause transition. Of course so the menopause is a relatively new thing and I say new I don't mean in the last five or ten years but when women got to the age of the menopause well chances were they were well dead yeah. in the past yeah. so it's a relatively new um, experience social experience mm. and do you think that feeds into the misinformation or the reluctance to talk about what's going on with women certainly you know again I've got friends who find it really difficult in work Mm -hmm. to say I'm ever so sorry I don't feel on top form or whatever Mm -hmm. um because I am suffering from menopausal symptoms Mm -hmm. and yet it's it's mad why aren't we talking when we're all so woke (laughs) about all the stuff why aren't we talking about this I I think it's the cultural norm that you don't discuss difficulties that you put on a brave face and try to get through it but I think that's definitely changing menopause in the workplace is now something that is talked about and big organizations are doing what they can to support women in in whatever way that might be that might be um 
educational days or ensuring that women have somewhere where they can go if they feel overwhelmed that they have fans and cold water to drink and things like that um but certainly i've done quite a lot of work with um the police the fire service the tax office the nhs and so i think i think that's that's very much changing um but it takes a long time um to you know for changes to 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 kick in sure okay so I'm going to ask, I guess, some very basic questions, but the sort of questions that when my mates get together over a glass of wine, we all talk about. And I think the first thing that people don't really understand is what's the difference between the perimenopause and the menopause? Mm -hmm. Isn't it the same thing? It's not the same thing. So the menopause is 12 months after a woman's last menstrual period. Um, And actually, that's much easier to identify. And actually, by that stage women's hormones are at a very low level but they're stable and so it's probably easier to deal with than the menopause transition which is the perimenopause Um, and at that stage a woman's hormones are all over the place um, and that's very difficult for some women to cope with Um, and I think it's impossible to measure hormone levels and say you're at this place or unless we're talking post-menopause by which stage the oestrogen level is very low and follicle stimulating hormone is high but in that transition what you would get is a snapshot in time and that's why if a woman is of the average age of the perimenopause which is 46 there is no point in doing a blood test because you could do a blood test and say to somebody you're not menopausal but the same person would be describing classical menopausal symptoms and hang on the average age is 46 so it's much younger than women wow, think that is yeah. much younger than i thought the average age of menopause is 51 52 but uh-huh. the perimenopause, the time of maximal symptoms is 46. Gosh, I'm really taken aback by yeah. that. I didn't know yeah. that. And a lot of women will come and say, I've got horrendous night sweats. I'm not sleeping. I'm exhausted, but I'm too young to be menopausal. Yes. Uh-huh. And I think it's really important not to forget women who've got what we now call premature ovarian insufficiency. Premature menopause is what it was previously called because those women do need to be treated, they have a deficiency state and if you don't replace the deficient hormone then they have an increased risk of osteoporosis and of cardiovascular disease and of feeling really terrible for a longer time. Can you still get pregnant in the perimenopause? You can still get pregnant in the perimenopause. that's alarming isn't it? Yeah, so ovulation doesn't happen regularly as it did before but it can happen spontaneously and you only need to ovulate once in and to have sex obviously um in order to become pregnant it's it's less likely but it is a risk and again i think it's a really important point because women as they get older and even women in their early 40s assume that they're no longer at risk of pregnancy we recommend contraception until 55 Right, till 55, really, as old as that? Mm. As old as that. I mean, it sounds like a a dinosaur, but again, that's taken me aback a little bit. Yeah, and then, of course, there are very, very few women who get pregnant in their 50s, but for those who do and who don't want to be pregnant, it's absolutely devastating, and those pregnancies are much more likely to be high risk. So let's talk a little bit about those symptoms that you mentioned earlier on. Mm. Um, The thing that struck me, and we've spoken before about this, is that there are the classic symptoms, Mm -hmm. the hot flushes, the lethargy, the vaginal dryness, what have you. And then there's kind of symptoms that made me go, oh, or not symptoms, but consequences, yeah. bone density, um, cardiovascular issues. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about that mm-hmm. without putting the fear of God in people. Um, 
certainly about kicking off with the hot flushes and the the very um, obvious symptoms, if you like, and what you can do about those in practical terms, and then moving into perhaps some of the more um, serious medical issues with uh, as a result of fluctuating hormones. So hot flushes, first of all, they're the kind of the big one that everyone talks about. Are there practical things we can do to help? Yeah, there are, you know, special clothing that women can access, um, chillo pillows. Um, <laughs> I like the sound of chillo Yeah, <laughs> fans. And, and these are all ways of, of minimising hot flushes. I think one of the really difficult things about classical hot flushes, is it's not just sweating, it's sort of rising tide of redness and it's incredibly embarrassing it depends um, on a woman's situation if it's somebody who for example works from home or who isn't um, in the workplace then perhaps that's something they can manage just by changing what they wear or wearing layered clothing so that they can remove the top layers but in for example a very high powered job a public facing job for example a barrister mm-hmm. um or you know, and that's a teacher that could be yeah, really, really yeah. difficult to manage. So you're not only managing um, the sensation of the flush, which I think can be really unpleasant, but the embarrassment that goes with that. Now, what about this classic brain fog? Is that really a thing, or is that just something that happens to us all as we get a little bit older? Yeah, I think it's really a thing. Um, it's quite difficult to specify exactly what that is, but. Um, difficulty finding the right word, difficulty remembering what you're saying. And again, it goes back to um, perhaps being in a very public situation, a lecturer, for example, who can't find the right word. That's really difficult to cope with. And I think it's also compounded by um, the problems associated with night sweats, difficulty sleeping, fatigue, um, and, and just a complete inability to cope I think if women aren't aware and they don't have the information up front to think oh actually this might be due to menopause then some women have real anxiety about have they got dementia Um, is something else going on that's affecting their ability to do something that they did without any problems in the past and interestingly you talk there about anxiety um sort of fluctuating emotions I guess if you don't connect it to the menopause you may well go to the GP Mm -hmm. describe those symptoms and maybe prescribe antidepressants Mm -hmm. but is that will that help yeah antidepressants do interact with the same receptors in the brain as hormones do so they do have some beneficial effects and I think for women who can't take hormones for example women with hormone oestrogen receptor positive breast cancer um, then we're left with less options at the moment although things are changing and newer drugs are coming on the market Um, but I think you know low mood associated with menopause may respond favorably to um, treatment with antidepressants as may anxiety and I think the other thing you know you get a woman who's the average age of the perimenopause who's got some menopausal symptoms she may opt to be treated with hormone replacement therapy and still have low mood. Well, she may have a coexistent problem with sure. depression. So I think it is a really important time of life for women to access holistic care. Um, and although I run a menopause service, not, not all women want or are eligible for hormone replacement therapy. What do you mean by holistic care? That's interesting. Are we are we all to go in a room and, and meditate? And, no, no, and, no, not and, at all. But candles? I think it's really important that the whole person is taken um, into perspective. So, you know, pa- listening is really important. Okay. Um, 
talking about um, her her existing medical history, um, social history. Does she smoke? Does she drink? Two glasses of wine uh, a day increase the risk of breast cancer more than hormone therapy. And lots of women will have a couple of glasses of wine a day and not think about it. Lots of women choose to smoke, which is, is fine, but obviously it's associated with a cardiovascular risk. What about relationships? Um, because I wonder what this does. Well, funnily enough, somebody emailed me and said, oh, you're doing this podcast on the menopause. This is really interesting. Are you going to do a male menopause podcast? And I emailed and said, Maybe, but not this time. But there is a real issue around the impact on relationships, not just with your partner, but with your children and with, you, you know, the, the, your extended family. Do you find that a real issue for the, some, some of the women that you see? Definitely. So I think if we talk, if we start by talking about sexual relationships, 50% roughly of women who come to the menopause clinic have um, problems with vaginal atrophy. Oh, oh, what's that? That sounds horrible. Yeah, and that leads into sexual difficulties. So you asked before about longer term consequences of hormone deficiency. Um, and I'll, I'll cover that now. So we have the kind of short term classical symptoms, hot flushes, night sweats, things that women would be more likely to recognise as menopausal problems. But what women are unaware of, I think, is the fact that in, a, in an oestrogen deficiency state, they will lose 1% of their bone density a year. Um, the commonest cause of death for women postmenopause is heart attacks. So lack of oestrogen is a significant cardiovascular risk factor. And my particular area of interest is vaginal atrophy. So without oestrogen, the urogenital tissue, not just the vagina, but the bladder as well, suffers from a reduction in blood supply and the mucosa, the lining, instead of being healthy, secreting um, normal uh, fluid secretions, having a normal um, bacterial environment, that all changes. So if we talk about the vagina, first of all, it, it, the tissue colour changes, the fat contents of the lips change, sometimes the small lips go all together. The vagina normally has folds, they go, the vagina becomes shorter. Um, women are much more prone to urinary tract infection, which can be very debilitating. Um, and sex for some women becomes completely impossible, as, do, as does having cervical smear tests, which are obviously important. And I think because that can happen really insidiously and it's a progressive chronic condition so it's not going to get better on its own it may remain hidden for several years and by the time women present they're often absolutely desperate they're afraid that their relationship may break down and you know many women have very supportive partners and I think the relationships which survive are often the ones where they can talk about the problem. Yes. Um, and there are some, some good treatments for vaginal atrophy and for bladder problems. Vaginal oestrogens have been around for a long time and for most women those are not associated with any um, significant health risks whatsoever. Unfortunately, the leaflets with vaginal oestrogen make them sound like systemic HRT um, so for those women who have that specific problem they don't have to have HRT but I would strongly recommend some form of treatment um, there are also newer um, medications available now to, to manage vaginal atrophy including uh, laser therapy which is non-hormonal but only available in the private sector at the moment it's really interesting isn't it we you know you talk about the menopause uh, the change, as my yeah. mother used to call it back yeah. in the day. It's been the butt of jokes. It's been, you know, kind of a taboo subject. 
but this is really, really important. This is major impact on mm. women's health. This isn't just, oh, those pesky hormones playing up. Mm. Well, it can be, but it, it's, it has significant health issues uh, for women. And you know, I hate to say it, impact on the NHS if those women are presenting very late. Absolutely. Yeah. So women will spend a third of their life now roughly post-menopause it's a real opportunity so to turn that feeling of loss as you're you know left with your empty nest on its head I think we can achieve so much um, in the post-menopausal years and I also think you get women who feel really smug about getting through the menopause without any major issue but I believe that lack of hormones will have an impact at some point. So for those women who don't have the um, short-term symptoms like hot flushes, they may develop osteoporosis, but that again doesn't present until they have a crush fracture. And osteoporotic fractures are the commonest cause of ill health. Um, or it may be that they have problems with vaginal atrophy or as they get older with bladder infections. And I think... The cost to the NHS of prescribing um, antidepressants, statins, antibiotics, um, treatments for osteoporosis is huge. So whilst there is a cost associated with managing the menopause with hormone replacement therapy or menopausal hormone therapy, which is is, is now the favoured term, it's probably significantly more cost effective than not treating the menopause and ending up with the the long-term consequences. Okay, so let's talk about hormone replacement therapy or Mm -hmm. menopause. What did you call it? Menopausal hormone therapy. Hormone therapy. That was to get away from that study. But that's interesting. So again, just anecdotally, around my friends, when we have coffee or whatever, um, people will say, oh, well, HRT, you can't be on it for longer than five years. Or... Um, I, I'm sure I can't have it because there's a history of breast cancer in my family. Or th- there's all sorts of, um, I guess, misinformation or misunderstanding about it and who can take it and how long you should be on it for and what the benefits are and what have you. Can you tell us in very straightforward, easy to understand terms? What you're describing is the classic myths. Um definitely fall out from the WHI study. So the recommendation is for care to be individualised. So that's going back to what I was talking about before with the sort of holistic package for the individual woman. We recommend using or the lowest dose that controls symptoms and how long a woman stays on hormone replacement therapy depends really on her individual circumstances. So for a woman who's still working, then I think actually it's really important that she feels on top of her game. Below the age of 60, the benefits for most women who are otherwise healthy massively outweigh the risks associated um, with HRT. I think one of the commonest reasons for referral to our menopause service is family history of breast cancer. So breast cancer is a very common problem. The current uh, rate quoted is that one in seven women lifelong will get breast cancer. Um, So obviously there will be some women who are taking HRT who get breast cancer. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the HRT is the cause of the breast cancer, but it may be a growth promoter. Um, And those women actually may present sooner than they would have done otherwise. And um, the end mortality, so the chance of dying of breast cancer remains the same, whether they did or they didn't have HRT. And I think that's a really important message. So the future then, we've come a long way. Can you see things improving? Mm -hmm. Are there... Um, new medicines coming on streams, new therapies coming on streams. What 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 are we to look forward to? 
Great. So we've had 15 years where there was no education, no research. And now um, there are research studies looking at different types of treatments. So looking at fetal oestrogen, which is thought to be much safer. It's used to treat breast cancer. So that would be a really exciting potential opportunity for breast cancer sufferers. We are currently completing a study looking at NK3 antagonists. They are um, drugs which have a, a sort of neuroendocrine um, effect, so they're not hormones, um, but these drugs look to be very effective to manage hot flushes. So they oh, okay. wouldn't necessarily deal with osteoporosis and cardiovascular disease, but for those women who are incapacitated by hot flushes, then this is a really exciting area. Um, and then with vaginal atrophy, lots of new treatments um, and particularly things like laser and radiofrequency. Um, they're expensive, but the hope would be at some point that they would become available on the NHS. So if you had one message to women um, specifically around HRT, mm-hmm. what would it be? That HRT for most women is relatively safe and safer than lots of other things that we do without really without really worrying about them. I personally think if women have a rigorous health assessment which would include ensuring that they'd had their smear test that they could self-examine their breasts that they engage with mammography that they have their blood pressure checked and their body mass index checked then their overall risk with a bit of support is massively reduced. By the age of 50, um, about 50% of women are hypertensive. If that's treated, then engaging with hormone replacement therapy overall reduces, significantly reduces their risk of having a heart attack. And one in four women by the age of 60 has diabetes, and that's very closely linked to being overweight. So it is very difficult to manage weight. As you get older, you need less calories in and more calories out. The recommendation is to do 150 minutes walking a week. Um, And it's about sort of supporting women, I think, to build that into their routine. That's really hard because 150 minutes it's, yeah. doesn't sound very much yeah. but you know if you're working full time and there's yeah. the kids and your elderly mum to look yeah. after or whatever yeah. it's quite difficult for, it, I think, it's, for it is difficult but walking is probably easier to build in than other things because True. rather than take the car you can walk yeah. so the other thing which I think is just important to mention is again back to holistic care thinking about pelvic the pelvic floor um, which is challenged from the outset we stand on two legs all of our weight bears down on our pelvic floor um, we pass urine we have babies every woman should be doing pelvic floor exercises that would, every woman every woman um, I see lots of women who've got prolapse um, if they have surgery then that again weakens the pelvic floor further because um it would heal with fibrous tissue rather than muscle. So avoiding surgery is much, much better. But very, very few women think I should be doing pelvic floor exercises in their 50s because they're not aware of the potential benefits. And really, actually, they should be doing it from their 20s um, in an ideal world. Lots of our lovely listeners out there will be going, this is really interesting. I want to know more. Where can people go for more information, um, more guidance? What, What would your recommendations be? Um, So I mentioned menopause matters already. Uh, Women's health concern is linked to the British Menopause Society. That's a very good source of information. All online? All online. Um, And then the booklet that I did, which has been published by Cargill. Which I have before me, which is absolutely brilliant. So that's really inexpensive. 
it's a way almost of women being able to chart their own symptoms and how they respond to treatments. So the booklet's available from orders at carger.com. It's called Menopause. Um, and it's fast facts for women and their supporters. Paula, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Lovely to meet you. Thank you. You can download the Menopod podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, but for exclusive, interactive, immersive content, download the Entail app. If you've liked what you've heard, please rate and review the Menopod and help other listeners to discover us too. This is a Laudable production for the Liverpool Echo. You can find out more about Laudable and its other local podcasts by following us on social media on Twitter, where we're at Laudable Pods, and on Instagram by searching for Laudable underscore podcasts. Mm-hmm.